Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Today we have a Q&A episode on deck. We haven't done one of these in a solo fashion with just myself for a little while. The last few weeks we've been doing Thursday episodes with Jeremiah. We did an underrated episode as well as we did another Q&A episode with him too. So if you haven't listened to those, I strongly recommend going back and doing so just because we cover some really good topics. But today I'm going to dive into a few questions on my own. But before I do, I've got just one request from you all. If you are finding value in the podcast, I know we took a break the first part of 2021, but now we're back in full swing, we're recording twice per week, putting out valuable content for you. And if you are finding value in it, I would be super appreciative if you could go down below, if you listen to this on Apple, and just leave the podcast a star rating as well as a written review, if possible. The only way to be able to grow in terms of Apple ranks is to be able to get more and more reviews over time. That shows people, or that shows them that you're finding value here, which Um, prompts them to be able to push out the show to more and more people. So I'd be truly appreciative of that. We don't do any sponsorships for the show. There's no monetization for this. Really, it's just here to be able to give you value, to be able to take and implement into your training, your nutrition, your mindset, and ultimately to better your life. So if you can do that and you are finding this podcast is helping you improve in any of those ways, like I said, The only thing that I ask is that you please go down below, leave it a star rating, and if you have a little bit of extra spare time, leave it a written review as well because it will really help the show grow over time. But with with that, it's really all I've got to mention. Just hop into these questions. Question number one, what are the best fast food restaurants to eat at that are still macro-friendly? This question actually came from my client, Nikki. Shout out to you, Nikki, if you're listening to this. She's down roughly 15 pounds in the last 11 weeks and absolutely crushing it. But where she works is away. She works about 30 minutes from where she lives um, in the middle of town to where she likes to go out to eat for lunch a lot of the time, but she only has time to really be able to go to fast food restaurants, right? She doesn't have time to go sit down at an actual restaurant. And there's always a couple options you can do here. You can always meal prep, take food with you, or at this day and age, you can honestly eat out and for the most part be just fine because the world and restaurants are pretty health conscious at this point. You can find macro friendly foods at the majority of places that you want to go out to eat. There'll be like the specific mom and pop places where it's going to be tougher and tougher, but the big chains generally have options that you can make work for yourself in your specific situation to be able to hit your caloric intake as well as hit your protein intake. So I'm just going to touch on a few of the places that I really like to go. And I think that that will help. The first one is the almighty Chick-fil-A. Honestly, any grilled chicken option that you get from there is going to fit within your numbers pretty easily. It's pretty high protein, relatively low calorie, and then you can always just get a fruit cup on the side. And then if you get the diet lemonade as well, 
you've got yourself a primo lunch. So grilled chicken sandwich, grilled nuggets, grilled chicken wrap. They have a really good market or grilled chicken. Like it's like a, I can't remember what it's called. The market salad, maybe the grilled chicken market salad um, with the side of fruit. And you're in a golden position to have a higher protein, lower calorie, semi-filling to put you in a really good spot there. So Chick-fil-A is a good one. I also, again, I'm going to be basic and say Chipotle. Chipotle is somewhere that I eat out at probably two to four times per week. At this point, I'm trying to cut back on going there as much and switch it up a little bit. But my go-to bowl when I go there is a burrito bowl with double meat, which is one serving of chicken, one serving of steak. Then I get white rice black beans, pico, the corn, and lettuce. And then I always get a side of their salad dressing just because it's this vinaigrette that tastes really, really good. And then if I have more calories left over or because that's roughly around like 600 calories with a good amount of protein, there's like 50, 60 grams of protein in that. Um, but if I'm eating higher calories at a maintenance level, a lot of the time I'll get a tortilla on the side so that then I can put half of the bowl into the tortilla and make a burrito and then be able to eat the other half of the bowl just as a bowl. So you're almost getting the best of both worlds. That's the Chipotle hack. I always put that on my IG story and people love that. So Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, as well as I really like Costa Vida. I don't know if these are everywhere. They're on the West Coast where I'm from. Um, but if you're like from the East Coast or the Midwest, I don't think that you probably have access to a Costa Vida. But when I go there, what I really like to get is just a grilled chicken salad. Again, I get double meat. Um, I don't get a tortilla generally unless calories are a little bit higher. They don't get a tortilla as well as white rice, black beans, um, all the works on it. But then a little hack that you can do there, instead of getting ranch on the side, which is what it generally comes for it with, you can just get a side of their mild or medium sauce and drape that over some of your lettuce. And that's a really good way to drop calories to not have to have all those higher fats, which is going to push your caloric intake up um, from the ranch where the hot sauce or the mild sauce is really only 10, 20 calories, saves you an additional 200 calories at that meal. So really like that there, as well as another one that's just going to be on the West Coast. I honestly think this one's only in California. It's not even where I'm at, but whenever I can go to Waba Grill. I absolutely love that place as well. It's very simple. It's just a uh, choice of rice, choice of meat, um, choice of vegetable on the side. Again, high protein, lower calorie, but those are my go-to places. And then one place that my family and I actually go to, the girls and I, every single weekend is we'll generally go to Blaze Pizza, which is almost like the Subway fashion of pizza. And what I really like to get there when I'm trying to make sure that I'm staying on point with my nutrition when we go out is they have a keto-friendly crust that you can get. And again, I don't love keto. I'm definitely not keto. I don't like to go low carb. But the way that they make that crust is out of protein powder and like a cauliflower powder. And so what actually ends up happening is the crust is like 40 or 50 grams of protein. So if you get a little bit of cheese, you get grilled chicken, maybe some pepperoni on there with some vegetables. Um, you have a pretty high protein meal, but again, the calories to that one are a little bit higher. You're going to be between 800 to potentially 1200 calories for that one pizza, which isn't going to work for a lot of people who are on lower calories, but that's somewhere that I like to go. That's a little bit friendly in terms of macros as well, which is pizza. So it's kind of unconventional where you can make that fit in just because the protein inside of that meal can be so high if you get that keto crust. So those are my go-to spots. Again, though, you can really go anywhere. When I used to, when I, when I lived in my hometown in Idaho, we didn't have a whole lot of options in terms of places to eat out, but I'm 
the type that likes to eat out for lunch quite often. I don't generally like to go home for lunch. Um, I just like to eat out. It's much more convenient. It's quick. I would go to Subway five days out of the week and literally just get a 12-inch sandwich on wheat bread. I would get a club, so it was turkey, roast beef, and ham. Throw lettuce on there, tomatoes, onions, um, and then like a little bit of a vinaigrette or something. And you would have 40 to 60 grams of protein in it, seven to 800 calories, and it would work out perfectly. And then if you needed less calories, you could always just do a six inch instead of a foot long, and you're in a really good spot. So I always hear people say, I'm so busy. I always have to eat out. I can't stay on track with my nutrition goals because I don't have time to meal prep and I'm always out and about. Well, I don't think that's an excuse because I love to eat out. I honestly eat out probably five to seven times per week, at least, if I'm being honest. If I looked at my budget with that, I would probably be pissed at myself, but I enjoy to eat out, and so I like to do it, and it doesn't have to be an excuse to not stay on track with your nutrition. You just have to find a few really good places that you like to go that are higher protein, relatively lower calorie for your particular calorie budget, and then just stay consistent with those places and understand that you can still track. You can still stay on track when you go out. It does not have to be an excuse to get you off track. It's all in your perspective and your willingness to plan ahead a little bit and make sure you're going to places that have things that are going to actually make sense for your goal. So that's a great question. Hopefully some of those options help. Question number two, how bad is drinking alcohol when it comes to fat loss? Again, this is another really good question. I have a lot of clients who we have this conversation. I work with a decent amount of middle-aged women. And for some reason, a lot of these middle-aged women really enjoy their wine. They want to be able to have a glass or two of wine at nighttime to decompress. Some of them do it with their husbands. They just want to be able to relax. That's their way of being social with their partners and just enjoying a little bit of time and letting your shoulders down to let the day come to an end, almost like their cocktail hour. I know that's really big in the South. Where I'm from, it's not really a thing, but um, drinking is something that is social and it's something that if it's a part of your lifestyle, I think you can absolutely make work. Now, what I'll say here is, if you're trying to lose body fat and you're drinking to get drunk, those two things are quite conflicting because as you get drunk, your choices and decisions that you make based on your long-term commitments and goals goes down the drain, right? You're going to be much more likely to overeat. How many times have you gone out drinking, um, gotten a little bit tipsy, and then you find yourself in a pizza place at the end of the night or with burritos or whatever it is, not even conscious of the foods that you're consuming relative to the goals that you have for yourself, right? So I don't think that you can go out and get drink and get drunk very often if you have a goal of fat loss. Those things are contradicting to each other and it's ultimately not gonna set you up for success. But if you want to be able to drink socially or drink within moderation, I think it's very, very doable. What I always suggest with clients is one, we try to keep their drink limit to four to six drinks per week. So that's gonna average out to maybe one drink per day or maybe um, a couple times per week, they have a couple glasses of wine or a couple drinks, whatever it may be. And as long as you're accounting for the calories in those drinks, you're gonna be totally fine. And if you're limiting the amount of drinks that you're having per day and you're not getting drunk, as long as you're not waking up hungover, that's gonna affect your workouts or affect your mood or anything like that, I think that it's totally fine to be able to incorporate. The types of drinks that I think are best for the majority of people and what I always suggest are number one, liquor mixed drinks with zero calorie mixers. So like Diet Coke or any sort of diet soda with 
some sort of a liquor is a really good drink to choose just because it's going to be anywhere from 80 to 110 calories. Have a couple of those. It's only going to be around 200-ish calories or so. You're in a really good position. The other one would be light beer. Again, it doesn't always taste the best, I know, but when you're dieting and if you want to fit it in, having a couple light beers, again, they're only going to be around 100 calories each, keeps you in a really good position. The other one are the popular seltzers. So things like White Claws, which I know are a big thing, Trulies, um, all of the beer brands like Bud Light and Corona, they're all coming out with seltzers at this point as well, that again, one of those is going to be around 100 calories, puts you in a really good position. And then the fourth one would just be wine, a white wine or a red wine. Again, one serving of each of those is again going to be around 100 calories, keep you in a really good position. So we're not having fruity mixed drinks, margaritas, um, heavy beers, anything like that that's going to be 300 to 500 calories per drink. We're literally trying to choose servings that are only going to be around 100 calories per drink and then have one to two of those drinks per day a few times per week. I don't think that that's going to mess up your fat loss in the long term as long as you are accounting for the calories in those drinks too. And this is where it comes back to making sure that we're creating a plan that fits into your life rather than taking your life and forcing it to fit into a plan, right? When I'm working with somebody, right out of the bat, I don't say, hey, like, you can drink this much per day, right? Have this amount of drinks per day and you'll be totally fine. Don't worry about it. I don't just automatically say that from the start when I'm beginning with a client. But if I'm talking with somebody and they're thinking about joining our coaching program and they want to work with us and we start talking about their lifestyle and where they're at and they talk about, well, I really like to enjoy a couple drinks per week with my husband or I like to go out on the weekends and enjoy a little bit and be social. Then we talk about, okay, is that optimal? Probably not because we want the majority of your calories coming from um, proteins, from whole foods to keep you full and keep you in a really good position to stay consistent, right? But if it's something that's a part of your life and it's not something that you want to give up but you still have goals for yourself, it's absolutely still obtainable to achieve those goals while incorporating some drinking in. And then that's when we bring up these types of strategies. Okay, is it realistic for you to stay with four to six drinks per week? Is it realistic for you to be able to choose these options when you drink rather than whatever the options were that you were choosing before? And so it's this game of compromise on both ends, right? If you're a coach and you're working with a client and they want to drink, if you tell them, no, you can't drink, well, you're not going to help them create a sustainable result. If you just restrict them throughout an entire diet and they lose weight, but then they feel like they've lost their social life because of it, chances are when they're done working with you, they're going to put all that weight back on because the first thing they're going to do is go out and start partying again and they're going to um, let go of that restriction and go all out. But if you teach them how to create the result that they want while still including the things in their life that they want to be able to enjoy to find a moderation and find a balance that allows them the best of both worlds, now you're setting them up for long-term success. And that's our responsibility as coaches, right? To be able to set you up with long-term success, to be able to enjoy your life the way that you want to enjoy it, but still make sure that you are being tedious enough or at least conscious enough to understand that there's going to be some sacrifice and some balance you have to find on both ends of the spectrum to be able to get the best of both worlds, right? Right To be able to lose body fat, to be able to still go out. You're not gonna be able to go out and go hard, but you can still go out and enjoy that aspect of your life and make it work if you're just a little bit more tedious and more conscious of what you're doing. And that's the overall goal. So can you drink alcohol and lose body fat? 
Absolutely. Is it the most optimal way to lose body fat? And is it the most optimal thing to be drinking alcohol while trying to lose body fat? No, because it's not going to be the best for you in terms of keeping you full. It's not going to get you many micronutrients. It's not going to support your protein levels. It's going to um, not support your total recovery. But again, if it's something that you enjoy and is part of your life and is important to you, you have to find ways to be able to incorporate that and find all things in moderation so that you don't feel overly restricted. And then that's when we would put those strategies in place with limiting the amount of drinks per week, being conscious of it, choosing the right types of drinks to be drinking so that you can still put yourself in those situations, but still be able to reach those goals for yourself at the end of the day. Question number three, how do I know how many reps I should be doing for each exercise? If you go back, I have a few episodes talking about how to build a training program, how to structure your rep schemes for specific goals, as well as throughout a specific workout, different things like that, that I think would be super beneficial for you. But to give you just a bit of a rundown on this and give you some more of a vague answer, because I don't know your specific goals. I don't know if your goal is to build strength. I don't know if your goal is to just build muscle. I don't know if you have endurance goals. I don't know exactly what it is that you want to achieve, right? And whatever that specific goal is for yourself is going to play a bigger role in terms of how many reps you should be doing. For the majority of clients that I work with, everybody's wanting to be able to get a little bit stronger. They're wanting to add some lean muscle definition so that as they drop body fat over time, they have more definition on their frame, right? They have that fit, athletic, or quote unquote toned look that everybody's chasing. And so for the majority of people that are chasing that specific type of goal, this is how I like to structure reps throughout a particular workout. And first and foremost, when we start a workout, we're mainly starting with that big compound exercise for the day, right? So if it's an upper body day, maybe we're starting with like a pull up, we're starting with a shoulder press, we're starting with a bench press. If it's a lower body day, maybe we're starting with a deadlift, we're starting with um, a squat, a leg press, something that's more compound focused, right? And in that first exercise of the day, we're generally shooting for anywhere from four to maybe up to 10 reps. Generally for the people that have more strength oriented goals, we'll keep reps in that first exercise down even maybe between like three to six reps because that's gonna be more strength induced. It's not gonna be quite as high volume, you're gonna be able to lift a lot more weight at those lower rep ranges. But for people that don't really care about strength quite as much and they're more focused on just building muscle from their workouts or retaining lean muscle from their workouts, then that first exercise of the day is generally going to be somewhere within six to 10 reps just because that's gonna add a little bit more volume, it's gonna be more um, hypertrophy induced, meaning it's going to be more advantageous towards building muscle because it's going to be that higher rep range, which is going to accumulate more volume over time. So anywhere really that first exercise from four to 10 reps, if your goals are, if you like strength and you like lifting a lot of heavy weight, then we'll keep that first exercise of the day, maybe in that three to six rep range. If your goals are just more hypertrophy based, that first exercise is going to be somewhere within like the six to 10 rep range. And then from that exercise, as we move on to your accessory lifts, so maybe let's say you were doing like a pull-up or you're doing a shoulder press, maybe that next exercise is going on an upper body day is going to be a row or maybe it's going to be like a chest fly or something of that nature, right? Something that's accessorizing that big compound of the day. This exercise is typically going to be done anywhere between the eight 
to 15 rep range. Again, so a lot of this is more hypertrophy based. And then for any of your isolation work at the end of the workout, again, this is gonna be like curls, leg extensions, leg curls, tricep extensions, glute kickbacks, all of the exercises that are more focused just towards one muscle group in that specific lift, this is where the rep range will be even a little bit higher and we'll go more for that 10 to 20 rep range. So again, the weight's a little bit lighter. We don't wanna be using really heavy weight when we're doing single joint exercises just because again, we want to be able to feel that muscle working. We wanna be able to increase the volume over time. We're not necessarily focused on building strength in that single joint movement. We're focused on increasing volume, which is going to translate to maintaining or increasing hypertrophy, which is gonna allow you to be able to build muscle over time. So that's a very simple way to structure it for the majority of people who have a little bit of a strength goal but are mainly focused on building muscle over time from their training. And then again, if you're somebody who's just focused on strength and you're a power lifter or something of that nature, then the majority of your work is gonna stay anywhere from roughly the two to 10 rep range. If you're somebody who is strength and hypertrophy focused, I would say the majority of your work between the six to 20 rep range with maybe a little tiny bit of work at the first of your workouts in terms of strength around like the three to six rep range is okay as well. And that will put you in a really strong position. There's not necessarily anything special to any rep range out there, but we have to remember is that to build muscle over time, we have to have enough volume over time. So let's say that you did a squat for three sets of 10. Science shows that you could also do that squat for 10 sets of three with heavier weight as well as, as long as volume is matched and you're getting relatively close to failure, you're gonna gain the same amount of muscle from both of those rep ranges, the three sets of 10 reps as well as the 10 sets of three reps. But at the end of the day, which of those styles is going to get you in and out of the gym most efficiently and not wreck your CNS quite as bad or your joints quite as bad. Because if you're doing 10 sets of three and getting relatively close to failure, you're going to have to be using a lot of weight, right? That's going to put a lot more weight on your joints. That's going to put a lot more weight on your CNS. It's going to ultimately tax you more. So wouldn't it make more sense if you can get the same result in terms of building muscle out of doing three sets of 10 to where the weight will be a little bit lighter, you'll be able to accumulate volume a little bit easier. It's going to be a little bit easier on your joints and it's still going to create that same result in terms of building muscle, right? In that fashion, you'd be much smarter and you'd have a much more efficient program working on three sets of 10 rather than on 10 sets of three if the goal is to build muscle. But let's say your goal is just to build strength and it's not necessarily to build muscle. You just want to get stronger over time. Well, you're not going to need to do 10 sets of three to build strength. You could do somewhere closer to, let's say, three to five sets of three and progress that over time, and you're going to get stronger, right? But you're not necessarily going to build as much muscle because your volume isn't quite as high. But it's still enough volume to create strength adaptations over time, but not necessarily muscular adaptations over time. That's going to come down to you making sure that volume is high enough to make sure that you're creating those adaptations in terms of hypertrophy. So hopefully that makes sense. If your goals are strength, lower rep ranges, two to 10 for the majority, first exercise start lower, work those up through your accessory and isolation exercises. If your goal is mainly hypertrophy, maybe with a little bit of strength, again, somewhere between three to six reps on that first exercise and then building up through your accessory and isolations and going from like eight to 12 reps up to 10 to 20 reps, the deeper that you get into that workout if the goal is more hypertrophy based. And that is actually going to wrap up today's episode. So I really do appreciate you guys for tuning in. 
down below is always a link, lostandlifting.com backslash podcast to where you can go, leave your own questions, submit them. They'll go directly into my inbox. I'll shoot you back a message personally answering it for you right back to your email as well as I'll bring those questions onto these Q&A episodes if I feel like they're questions that are going to help the majority of the listeners. So like I said, I appreciate you guys for listening. Have an amazing day. I'll talk with you soon. 